0: For the past couple of weeks, there's been a controversy, right, over one aspect of U.S. immigration policy. Should kids, especially those under the age of four, be separated from their parents? And who's to blame? Is it Democrats? Is it Republicans? And there's been a whole range of responses. Some people have gone to social media. Uh, other people have robo-called their legislators. Uh, other people have shown up and done marches. And then there are other people on the other end that have been like, there's crimes being committed. We need to follow the laws, right? So there's this whole range of opinion that plays out when something happens. Uh, For some of you, this is like new information. And you're like, there was a controversy? Yes. And you would probably say to me, Max, there's a controversy every day. I have to go to work. I have to pay my bills. Like, I can't keep up. This is too much. The only reason I show this is to say we all respond differently to things that we believe are wrong, right? We all respond differently. We have different ways of going about it. Uh, In this congregation, uh, people have faced medical negligence. In this congregation. In this congregation, people have faced embezzlement. They faced infidelity. They have faced criminally liable slander. They have faced all kinds of things. So when you face something that's wrong, when you face something that's unjust, when you face something that you consider to be evil, here's what I want you to know, not everybody responds the same way you do. Not everybody responds the same way that you do. God gives us a a lens, I think, in the Old Testament, because God gives us different personalities, different temperaments, and different callings. In the Old Testament, there were prophets, priests, and kings, and if you'll give me a little leeway today, right, this isn't, you're not gonna find this in the commentaries, but this is a maxim. I think this this is a good starting type for types of people and how they respond to situations. You have the prophets. Some of you have some prophets who are Facebook friends of yours. Every day, they're laying a truth bomb. Boom, there it is, evidence, proof, boom, truth bomb. Okay, prophets love to speak the truth. They're not afraid to say hard things. They're not afraid to rattle the cage. Uh, they condemn sin. Uh, they're quick to call people to repentance. I know some prophets in my life. Then there are the priests. The priests are, oh my goodness, this terrible thing happened. How does it make you feel? <laughs> what can I do to help, right? They're wanting to kind of help out and they, they have a, oh, a big, long streak of mercy. And then there are the kings, the people who lead, the politicians, and, and they're trying to negotiate a way to figure out how to make God's truth apply to actual real life. And often, these people don't appreciate the, each other. Often, you'll hear uh, the prophet say to the uh, priest, you know, you need to speak out more. You need to be a little bit more courageous. You need to come on, and lay some truth. And then the priests are like, hey... What have you actually done besides blah, blah, blah? Like, come on. <laughs> and, and then the, the kings, uh, could y'all just shut up for a moment so we could actually legislate something and get something done, right? And so each personality type kind of feels like all the other personality types should be like them. And so in case you fall asleep today, here's where I'm going. We all confront evil differently, but we all need God because at the end of it, God wins. We all confront evil differently, but at the end of it, we need God because God wins. We're gonna be in a famous passage from 1 Kings chapter 18 today, um, which features a showdown between Elijah, the prophet of Yahweh, and the prophets of Baal, and God does the impossible. Now while the kids are gonna focus on the impossible part, I wanna kinda call out this interplay between Elijah and Obadiah because they respond to evil in their day differently. They respond differently. Elijah was a prophet in northern Israel during the reign of King Ahab, uh, around 860 BC. Elijah literally means, my God is Yahweh. And it makes sense. His prophetic ministry was to a people where he was vigorously opposing Baal worship, the master. And so he was calling people to worship Yahweh only. Uh, Elijah is such a big deal that at the end of the Old Testament, at the very last book in the Old Testament, we have these words. Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and hearts of children to their fathers. It's in Malachi chapter four his prophetic role before that great day was fulfilled by John the Baptist. We're told that in Matthew 11. And Elijah appears on the mount that Jesus takes Peter and Paul up to, and so there's Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. And, the, and, and Peter and John are like, whoa, yes. So Elijah's a big deal. And in this chapter, it features the showdown between him and the prophets of Baal. And so I wanna get into this. Uh, 1 Kings 18, and we'll start off with just the first six verses. Later on, in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him that I will soon send rain. Hadn't rained for three years. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria, so Ahab summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of the palace. Obadiah was a devoted follower of the Lord. Once when Jezebel had tried to kill all the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had hidden a 100 of them in two different caves. He put 50 prophets in each cave and supplied them with food and water. Ahab said to Obadiah, we must check every spring and valley in the land to see if we can find enough grass to save at least some of my horses and my mules. So they divided the land between them. Ahab went one way and Obadiah went another way by himself. Obadiah is Ahab's chief of staff. So he's kind of like, in some senses, like a viceroy. Uh, He would have overseen the king's household, servants, food, the whole nine yards. He would have overseen the administrative part of the Israeli government, right? And so appointments, decisions that didn't involve the king would have come to Obadiah. Ahab trusted Obadiah, But Obadiah was someone who was devoted to the Lord. Where's that right there? Devoted follower of the Lord. And yet he's working for Ahab. Isn't that interesting? He protects prophets of Yahweh. He respects Elijah. When he meets Elijah, he falls face on the ground. He was devoted to God from his youth, the Bible tells us. And he obeyed God's prophet over against his king when push came to shove. Look, God sometimes places his followers in dark places. God sometimes places his followers in dark places. Obadiah was in a dark place. Ahab was an evil king. This is how the Bible summarizes Ahab. Then he set up an Asherah pole. He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the other kings of Israel. Ahab really ticked God off, <laughs> okay? He was an evil man. He was given in marriage to a Phoenician princess named Jezebel who brought in worship of the master and her Asherah poles with her and because Ahab didn't want to uh, cross his wife. Anything she wanted, she got. And so they set up Asherah poles all over Israel. Now the way it worked uh, in this time in the ancient Near East is most of them were polytheists, which meant that, well, yeah, we worship Yahweh. He rescued us from Pharaoh of Egypt. Uh, but Baal, if, if Baal can bring rain, sure, we'll worship him too. I mean, come on, let's cover our bets here. And, and that's kind of how people rolled in the ancient Near East at that time. Uh, but Jezebel was different she felt that people who were calling people to allegiance only and allegiance first to Yahweh were a threat to her husband. And so she would have prophets of the Lord arrested and executed. And Ahab did nothing to stop her, all right? Now, Elijah, on the other hand, so you have Obadiah who's working for this evil king and yet is a devoted follower of the Lord. And you have Elijah who is a truth bomb thrower. Hey, Ahab, you're a wicked man. God's gonna judge you and this whole nation. It's gonna be terrible. Boom, boom, which is why Elijah had been in hiding for three years, (laughs) okay? So we pick it up in verses seven and following, and we'll go to verse 16. As Obadiah was walking along, he suddenly saw Elijah coming toward him. Obadiah recognized him at once and bowed low to the ground. Is it really you, my lord Elijah, he asked. Yes it is, Elijah replied. Now go and tell your master Elijah is here. Oh sir, Obadiah protested, what harm have I done to you that you're sending me to my death at the hands of Ahab? I swear by the Lord your God that the king has searched every nation and every kingdom on earth from end to end to find you. And each time he was told Elijah isn't here, King Ahab forced the king of that nation to swear the truth of his claim. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. But as soon as I leave you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you away to who knows where. And when Ahab comes and cannot find you, he will kill me. I have been a true servant of the Lord all of my life. Has no one told you, my Lord, about the time when Jezebel was trying to kill the Lord's prophets? I hid a 100 of them in two caves and supplied them with food and water. And now you say, go and tell your master Elijah is here. Sir, if I did that, Ahab would certainly kill me. Are you kind of feeling the angst Obadiah has? But Elijah said, I swear by the Lord Almighty in whose presence I stand, I will present myself to Ahab this very day. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. You can kind of feel the tension between these two men, can't you? Uh, Elijah sees Obadiah as a compromiser. How can you work for that wicked man? How can you be the chief official administering his wicked reign over Israel? What kind of compromiser are you? How can you even be there, right? I mean, you can feel it from Elijah, and then Obadiah is rightly afraid. The last time someone found Elijah and told the king, the Lord whisked him away, he kind of vanished. The king was not very happy, and some heads rolled like it was bad. So you have this interplay, and and Obadiah insists, I have been a true servant of the Lord all my life. So if you're Elijah, You've got this prophetic call to call evil, evil. Uh, And Obadiah works for the man who's trying to kill you, right? What's he doing there? How can he work for Ahab? And if you're you're Obadiah, you've risked your life to save God's people. You're not going to stick your neck out for nothing. I mean, if Elijah disappears, it's nothing. No good can come from that. And then... (laughs) blah, 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 what have you actually accomplished, Elijah? So don't assume, gang, that everyone needs to respond to evil the way you respond to evil. Don't assume either that you're the only one or that your people, people like you, are the only ones God has on the scene. At the end of everything, God wins, okay? I wanna call out some things from this passage, uh, and I wanna ask a couple of questions. The first question is, what assumptions do you make about where and how God is at work? What assumptions do you make about that? Do you believe that God is doing things that you cannot yet see? For those of us who are older, who've got some miles under our belts, there are so many times we look back and we're like, oh my goodness, God was doing X at the time when I was 20, when I was in college, when I was 30, and I didn't even see it, didn't even notice it, and I was going, where, where, God, where are you? And he was right there, okay? What assumptions do you make about where and how God is at work? And then how would you live if you actually believe God could do the impossible? How would you live? So in in light of what we see in 1 Kings 18, in light of Obadiah and Elijah, let me give some practical advice about how to kind of take this home. First and foremost, take a second look around. Take a second look around okay? You may think resources are limited. You may think you're the only one that's following Jesus at work, at school, (laughs) right? Take a second, look around. Chances are God has somebody else on the scene. Um, For the thing that Kate, you and Katie are doing, right, at high school, I bet you've identified the people that you know. These are the people interested in art. These are the people who are maybe interested in the kingdom of God. I'm just going to say to you, I bet there's more people than what you initially identified. I just bet that's the case, because that's how it works. The second thing is extend grace to those who are not like you. Uh, For the priests, that means giving the truth bomb people room to lay those truth bombs. Come on, lay it on me, lay it on all of us. Yep, you are right, (laughs) okay? Extend grace to people who aren't like you. Prophets speak the hard truth, Priests comfort the hurting and kings negotiate ways to make it happen. But extend grace to people who are not like you. Third, sometimes be bold in what you ask God to do. Come on, was not Elijah bold in 1 Kings 18? Was he not specific in 1 Kings 18? I have a neighbor who's got cancer right now. Her name's Jackie. She taught with my wife. When I pray for Jackie, I don't pray... God, just help Jackie. Give her a good day. Like, you know what I'm praying when I pray for Jackie? God, get these cancer cells out of this woman's body. Kill them off, get them out. Like 100% out of her body. And I'm I'm specific and bold in what I'm asking for because I want her to have another decade with her grandkids, okay? So sometimes be bold in what you ask God to do. Fourth, you gotta remember that there are moments in human history where God says, enough. There are moments in history where God's kind of fed up with where things are, and he says, enough. At the end of this chapter, there's the showdown, the fire of God happens, and what I didn't read to you is that the prophets of Baal are followed and killed. And those prophets of Baal, come on, they were sincere, they prayed to their God for how many hours? Seven, eight hours, they cut themselves. You can't question their devotion or their sincerity. Unfortunately, at the end of the day, they, they were wrong, right? So sometimes God enters into human history and he says, enough. When I was in seminary, when I came to seminary in 1992, uh, I did not know the first thing about cigarettes. I didn't know the difference between a hard pack, a soft pack. I didn't know 120s, menthols. Like I didn't know any of the language about cigarettes. My dad quit smoking when I was five or six, so it just wasn't part of my life at home, and I didn't know. My dad also quit drinking about the same time, when I was five or six, so I didn't know the difference between Bud and Bud Light. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know there was a name for 40-ounce bottles. Like, I just didn't know all of this stuff. And so I needed a job, and we only had one car, and Jenny would take that one car every day to go to her job, so I needed a job I could walk to. Well, at the end of my neighborhood was a gas station. I thought, I'll sell gas, and I got a job. And then, like, by the third day, I realized, oh, I'm not selling gas. I'm selling lotto tickets, beer, and cigarettes. That's what I'm doing. And I thought, I was convinced, this is a dark place. Like, this is a really dark place. And I, on the third or fourth day, I met the assistant manager who had been on vacation named Mark Talbert, a follower of Jesus also working at that gas station and who became a lifelong friend. The Talberts and the Vanderpools, man, we were at their wedding. Um, And and Mark helped me navigate some things that I just didn't understand and also helped me keep my faith with integrity working in a place like that that enabled me to go to seminary. And we're all getting the results of that, good or bad, (laughs) right? Okay. So... A couple of things I just wanna say to you if you're in a dark place. If you're in the middle of a dark place, I think Jesus has a couple of things to say. The first is Matthew six, no one can serve two masters. Let Jesus lead. If Jesus wants you to speak up, if Jesus wants you to do something, let Jesus lead. He leads, you follow. And the other thing is uh, Matthew 22, render under Caesar what is Caesar's in the sense it's entirely possible, maybe, just maybe, God has you in a dark place because he's wanting you to live out his kingdom in ways that are change ways or good ways for other people without losing your integrity, okay? We all confront evil differently, but, it, but we all need God, and at the end of it, God wins.